for giving us such wonderful, ecstatic, and glorious exhortation as we sing to God. Let's give God some praise for the church choir and their ministry this morning. Would you join me in Psalm 137, verse 1 and 2? Psalm 137, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 137, beginning at verse 1. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. Amen. You may be seated. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, our instruments, and hung them on the popular trees. Verse 3 says that our captors demanded a song from us, but our tormentors insisted that we sing a joyful song song. For the next few weeks, I want to preach from this series of sermons entitled Soul Music. Soul Music. I'm going to detour from what I plan because of what I feel in the spirit of the atmosphere. Just a bit, just a bit. Listening to the choir sing this song sort of anchors and reaffirms what I read from the West African tradition in terms of worshiping God. The spirit will not come without a song. Yeah. Just listen to that. The spirit will not come without a song. There's something about a song in the place of worship that changes the atmosphere, especially when the song is being sung out of the soul. It anchors the understanding of what soul music truly is. Doesn't matter what genre, whenever it's being sung from the soul, the listener can feel it. Doesn't matter if it's rock and roll or jazz or R&B or pop or even country western. In fact, if you listen to some country western, it's really from the soul. And you can hear it as it's being expressed in the song. But I, I remember as I shared this morning that when I was a student, at Colgate Rochester, we were in preaching class and part of the responsibility 
was to prepare the sermon, write it out, and then preach the sermon in chapel. And so when we got in the chapel this particular day, all of my non-African-American students, my fellow students, they all stood up and preached their sermons and said so with such strong rhetoric in this cold, sterile environment with no emotion. They just simply preached what they had written, said it very effectively, and then sat down. But all of us who are of African-American descent, we did not prepare this. We just all knew because of our own worship experience. We all, we all got up and before we began our sermon, each one of us prompt our sermon with a song. Because we know that you're not going to get any spirit in that place unless there's a song first that primes the ground for the sermonic expression. And each one of us sung our song. And I mean, we sung a song, we sung a song. They didn't know what we were singing about. We reached back and got some of the old hymns and we added our Afrocentric beat. And when we got to rocking and singing those songs and then when we got after the song, we got into the sermon and then we pushed our Afrocentric experience in the sermon. And I got to tell you, that thing was so powerful that at the end of the sermon, you know, they don't do this in the white church, but in the black church, you can't really end the sermon without some expression of the katrinda. We, we kind of call that inclination proclamation. That just simply means you can't end it without some kind of a hoop. And so when we got to the end of our sermon, every preacher was up there hooping in his or her own way. And at the end of the service, when we all sat down back in class, we were sweating. All the rest of the brothers wasn't sweating at all. We already knew we were going to come to preach, so we all brought our towels. We got back to class. We were sitting there wiping our face. And the professor said, I just got a question for you. Why did you sing a song that wasn't a part of the assignment? And as I said this morning, you know someone had to stand up and explain it with boldness. And I stood up and I said, let, let me explain to you, Professor. Let me, let me tell you how this works. See, in the African-American tradition, you just can't stand up and preach a sermon. Not in a cold, sterile environment like we had in chapel. But you got to do something to bring some fire in that place. And get the spirit moving and get things active so that when you stand to preach, you can preach in power because the power is not just for the congregation to receive the word, but the preacher got to have power to preach the word. And so what we do is in that moment in which sometimes we come to the pulpit and I had to help him out, I says, I know y'all think you can plan out all your sermons, but in the black tradition, sometimes we come to the pulpit not quite ready as to what we gonna preach that morning and and I, I'm here to tell you as a living testimony, sometimes we don't know until we actually get into the seat. In fact, there are other times we don't know until the choir finished singing the hymn of preparation. And he says, really? How do you do that without having your sermon planned out? I said, it's called spiritual intervention. 
It's how God makes sure that although you got your stuff planned out, I got a different plan for the worship service on that day. There might be that one person that God says, I want your word to speak to, and I know you wanted to go left, but I want you to go right, and I want you to preach it this way, and I know you don't understand it because you think everything can be planned out, but when the Spirit comes... You can't determine how you're going to plan things out. If you're following the flow of the Spirit, God moves, says my grandmom and granddaddy, in mysterious ways and his wonders to perform. Do I have any witnesses in here? You know that old saying, don't you? Because God can move like that. And I said, you know, we just have to do that. We get that song going, and our spirit need to be able to be saturated in that sermon to the, for, to the point that when we stand up, we can feel the sermon because the sermon is so music itself to the preacher. And then I said, you know, when you finish your sermon, y'all just sit down. But when we finish our sermon... Yeah, we, we have to, can't, we can't leave the people just at the pew the way they came in, but, but something's got to happen. And we call this a hoop because in West African tradition, it's the musicality of the sermon that moves us from point A to point B. And I said, we do it differently. Preachers do it differently. We do it differently. We got different styles and different modes to which we conclude the sermon. And some of my classmates say, tell them, Doc. Tell them what it means, Doc. And I said, I thought you wouldn't ask. Thank you so much. So I said, let me, let me show you how. Sometimes we have to end the sermon because of who you are. You know what style you have. We end the sermon in different ways. And sometimes the who comes differently. And some of you from Georgia, you remember the old preacher. When we come to the end of the sermon, we go, well, I'm in the end of my sermon. And I got to bring it on home now. But I feel God is moving in this place. And I don't know about you, but God has been too good for me. I just can't sit down on the goodness of the Lord. But every now and then, I feel like I'm all by myself. But the glory of the Lord shows up on the inside. And I can feel moving all down in my soul. I said, that's one way we do it. Then, then we got some other preachers who, who give a long draw, what we call a crawl in the expression. And they just simply go, well, yeah. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. My Lord, I wish I had some help in this place. Yeah, I wish I had a praying church just for a little while. But I'm going to take my seat here right here in the minute. But let me tell 
tell you one more thing. I know the Lord been good to me. It just was just a little while ago down on my sick bed. But God raised me on up out of my bed. And I don't know about you, but I just can't sit down. Oh my God. But I gotta stand and testify the Lord is good uh, can I get a witness up in here but, but, but then I say sometimes we don't end it like that sometimes we got rhythm and we just simply say come on musician give me an E flat I know that God will help me bring the thing to a close and every now and then I got to come on round the corner and let everybody know God will take care of you ain't he alright ain't he alright ain't he all and old pretty say ain't he all right he, he, he asked me he says does it take all of that I say that's because you don't know we preaching out of the soul we're not just preaching from the mechanics of the sermon but when we think about what we had to get through to get to Monday down to Saturday and when we prepared our sermon for Sunday there's something on the inside that makes the soul produce its own kind of prophetic music and then he says well that explains why y'all are so excited in worship I says no no that's not why we so excited in worship I said we remember that when your folk had us as slaves and you wouldn't let us come to your church because you said we weren't as equal as you are. So we created our own sermonic expression. See, when your preachers came to preach to us, all they told us was slaves, obey your masters. For that's the good thing unto the Lord. But we waited for our own preachers to come and tell us, you know, weeping might endure for the night. But if you hang on in there, joy is going to come in the morning. They taught us how to persevere. And so when we get to the end of service and worship, we are excited because we really realize that God has been in this place and the reason why I picked this particular psalm to prompt these sermons is because when I listen to what they say by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and there we wept watch this line verse 1 and 2 as we thought about Jerusalem and I'm going to tell you I'm going to take my seat listen to this I want to believe that when they thought about Jerusalem, what they thought about was how the priests were responsible in the temple to keep wood burning on the altar. <laughs> you go catch this in a minute. God told the priests, whatever you do, don't let that fire go out. But you bring fresh wood to the altar every single day. 
all day long. I want that fire burning and I want that smoke ascending up into the heavens. So not only does heaven get to breathe the aroma from the smoke, but I want the people to be able to see that when that smoke is coming out, that means that sacrifices are being accepted on the altar. Watch the analogy. And I, I got to feel as I sat and thought about this sermon series, I kept thinking about spiritual songs. Not, not hymns, but the spirituals. See, we don't sing them now. That's why you reason why you don't know much about them. We don't sing them anymore. We only sing them on special occasions. And we only sing them if there's perhaps someone who may have requested a particular one. But spiritual songs, we, we know origin-wise that they began around the time that slavery began, but they were songs that actually came out of the soul. We call them Negro spirituals. They're called Negro spirituals because only those who were Negro slaves understood how we crafted the language while we were out in the fields. And in crafting that language, it helped us understood how we made songs that helped inspire us as we moved along in a critical time of evil behavior. Spirituals because they anchored themselves in the depths of our souls and they enabled us to use them as a linchpin for our survival. We survived it. Unfortunately, we've forgotten many of those songs because you can't put beats to them. You don't need to put beats to them. They were sung. They were meant to be sung a cappella, but, but almost in a chain reaction, in a call and response kind of way. And they were so transformative that those from West Africa who were brought from there to the shores of America brought with them all of the musicalities of their complexities in beat and meter and syncopation and melodies and even in rhythms. And if our ancestors were living today, they would be greatly disappointed that we've taken their hard work that they passed from generation to generation and pushed it to the sideline and replaced it with music that virtually has no theological roots to it at all. Talking about spiritual music, talking about spirituals that the slaves exercise and express because they were covered with what we call emotional improvisation. I realized the truth of that whenever I was listening one time to a testimony by Winston Marcellus. And Winston Marcellus says that he was doing a concert and right in the middle of his concert, y'all, right in front of him, a woman got a phone call on her cell phone and she had the nerve to answer it right in front of Winston Marcellus while he's doing his concert. And Winston said it threw him off so quickly that he had to stop for a brief second and then improvise. How, how do I keep this going and not be thrown off by this distraction? And when I listen to the slave songs, you can almost hear in those spirituals how they were out in the fields working and something almost interrupts them and yet they don't stop singing the song. They push on and push on. As if trying to tell us that you can never allow life to steal your song out of your soul. 
But you got to always sing your song and have your soul singing it likewise because in your soul there's a song that God has given that no one can sing like you. So have you noticed that when you're in a worship experience and if that one person or that choir sings that song that resonates with your soul, something happens on the inside of you. I mean a fire starts burning, a wheel starts turning and when you think that you can just sit there and listen to the song. The song makes you remember Jerusalem. The place where you met God. You, some of y'all went back. When I was in that moment, I was telling you how to close the sermon. You went back to Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi. You went back to the Shiloh Baptist Church. You, you went back to the, the Zion Baptist Church. And you remembered in that church of your childhood how you were in worship. And no matter what was happening on the outside, in that place of worship, the song was being sung. And you remember we didn't have a lot of instruments. In fact, we had very little at best a piano. But it didn't take much to get us going because when we came to church back to the priest, we brought our own wood. Yeah, you didn't catch that. We brought our own wood. Here's what I'm trying to say. We didn't have to come to church to get on fire. We were already on fire when we got to church. Didn't nobody have to prompt us, come on church, let's give God some praise. Uh-uh. When we came to church, we already knew. In fact, on the way to church, in fact, mama and them prepared us on Saturday night. Get your clothes all out. Iron anything out on Saturday night. Know what you're going to eat the next morning because ain't nobody going to be ironing no clothes on no Sunday morning. And don't think you're going to pretend you sick and sleep in. Uh-uh, not in this house. You going to church because we're going to give God some praise and you're going to be happy when you get to church that you're going to give God some praise. We had our wood with us on the way to church. And remember, we didn't have radio. I don't know about y'all, but my grandfather didn't have no radio. So we had to make our own music on the way to church. And granddaddy would always sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling do not pass me he looked back and said now all y'all sing savior savior hear my humble cry now you sung that on the way to church but 30 years later when your back is against the wall, when sickness has invaded your family, when the job has ran out, now you got to figure out how you're going to make bills and make ends meet. When death occurred in the family, all you can remember was, pass me not, oh gentle. That's because grandmama and granddaddy and mama and daddy made sure that you had a song on the inside of your heart. Remember you said, if I ever get grown, and get out on my own I ain't never going back to church until trouble showed up and when trouble showed up past me not old gentle that's because you know they put a song in your heart but also it comes out of the soul all you gotta do is trace Aretha Franklin's roots you know where it ran to New Bethel Baptist Church right there in Detroit, Michigan 
all you got to do is trace the roots of James Brown. They ran right back to the Baptist church. Dionne Warwick, right back to the Baptist church. Whitney Houston, right back to the Baptist church. Why? Because there's something about the music in terms of its sacredness in church that will not let our soul go. That's why I call it soul music. And when they sat down there right beside Babylon, they got to thinking about what they had in Jerusalem. And here we are, 21st century, year 2018, some of the most advanced of our history in terms of economics, in terms of academics, in terms of social standing, we have arrived at a point where our ancestors only dreamed of and yet we have less than what they had. Oh yeah, we got more stuff. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. I got a big house. I got a big car. I got a big job. And I get a big fat paycheck. But I have somehow lost my connection to two hours on Sunday morning to share with God. I got to go to the golf course. I got to go shopping. I got to go pay a visit to someone I haven't seen. I got to go see mom and daddy. But somehow we forgot if it had not been for the Lord on your side, none of the stuff that you got would have ever been accomplished. We got to a place where we got what we wanted, but we lost what we had. Unity in our community, wholeness. I use this morning as the analogy of the fact that when we were growing up in school, yes, we only had one room school. Some of us were a little bit more advanced when we got to go to a school that had more than one room, but we had hand-me-down books and we had materials that wasn't necessarily the purest of all. I know that. But at least we had a teacher who would stand up in class and made sure she taught us everything that she knew. But not only that, she was more than a teacher. She was a counselor. She was mama. She was grandmama. She was a surrogate. She made sure that you wouldn't act any and every way that you wanted to. In fact, she was your mama incarnated in another flesh. And some of y'all remember, you'll remember back in the day when I know when I came up, just until I got to about the third grade, then it changed. But in the first and second grade, uh, Miss Leonard had a paddle, a ruler in the room. Yeah, and you stepped out of line. Here's what she'd do. She'd come along and say, hold your hands out. And, and you hold that hand out. And man, I tell you, I don't know how, but she knew exactly where to hit you at in the middle of that palm. And that thing, and every time you draw back, that made her even matter. Put them back out there again. You got to put them back out there. What does, what does that have to do with the sermon? That's because she taught me out of the musicality of her soul in terms of caring for me. Not now. You're just a number in class now. In fact, you better not touch a student now. We'll see you on the news in handcuffs being taken out. When I want to argue, as I saw one little boy, wasn't before, listen to me, he wasn't before, stood up and told a teacher, you the reason why this project didn't work. You messed it up and pointed his finger in her face. 
Oh, I just said to myself, if I could just have two minutes with him, shut the door and leave him behind. Put a little piece of paper on the little window so can't nobody look in. Pull the blind shut. And I take that little fella and yes, call me abusive, call me crazy, call me insane. But when I got finished slinging him from one side of the room to the next, when that teacher come back, she think that boy was a brand new child. You couldn't tell him anything because I'd help him know. You sit your behind right here in this class so you can learn something. I'm talking about a four-year-old. A four-year-old. And on top of that, Dick Mosey, he can't even talk. He has to go to speech therapy. He can't even put his words together. But yet he got enough boldness. And the teacher said, Mr. Murphy, what, what do you think? I said, I can tell you what the problem is. It's not you. It's at home. Yeah. He gets away with that at home. Yeah. He tells his mama at home what he will and will not do. And that, tra unfortunately, that translates to the classroom. And unfortunately for you, they expect for you to do what they should have done at home. But because they don't have him for the eight hours, seven and a half hours that you have him, they think you're going to work miracles. But what you ought to do is flip that thing and take it right back home. In fact, all y'all are just get radical one day. Don't send the child home on the bus. Take him home by hand. Drop him right off in front of his mama and say, now you raise him. You teach him. You deal with this crazy demon that you sent to school thinking I'm going to change him. And let them know you ain't Jesus. Now somebody say, what's, what's the world I got to do? What the world I got to do is so music because as they sat by the river of Babylon surrounded by the Tigris and the Euphrates River and they thought about Jerusalem they thought about what they had and now what they have see they wanted to be remember you travel back in the Old Testament and when they were simply a theocracy, they, they didn't want the leadership of God alone. So they told God, we want us a king. And God gave them Saul. And God tried to tell them, you really don't want a king because you're moving out of the spiritual realm into the human realm. And you're going to have to be susceptible to king's behavior. Now we want to be just like, watch this, everybody else. And what happened? They wanted to be like everybody else and they allowed themselves to be led off into disobedience and God said, I'm tired of it. 70 years of captivity and that's why they're in Babylon now. 70 years of captivity and what's amazing is in the seven year cycle, six years, God says to Israel in the Levitical law, you can plow the field and grow all that you need but in the seventh year, let the field rest. And I think it's amazing how Jerusalem is destroyed in these 70 years and God lets the city rest. But when they came back, says Nehemiah and Ezra, the one thing they was looking for was to rebuild the temple and they needed a song. 
See, the Hebrews who were taking their exile knew the song, but the Hebrews who were born in exile didn't know the song. They couldn't figure out why you're making so much about Jerusalem. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's an ancient city. They had no recognition, recognition of what the history of the city was while the old saints, and this is why you can't relegate the old saints to the sideline because they got stories. They got testimonies. They are walking, living epistles who can tell you about dark days and what it means to live in exile. I'm almost done. Listen to the text. It says that they looked, they sat there in Babylon and they looked and they wept and they were wounded. As verse 2 says, they took their harps and hung them on the popular trees. They had said to themselves, because we are in a strange land, we will no longer sing the songs of Zion. And that's what we have done to the spirituals of the black church. We've hung them on popular trees. They're old. And you can't organize them like you would in typical traditional music. You got to learn them. I told them this morning that spirituals have five different characteristics. The first is that they have beat a deep biblicism. That means that all of them are based on some biblical story. Secondly, they have repetition. They'll say the same line over and over and over again, impressing on the psyche the importance of what that line means. Third, they have rhythm. They didn't have an organ. They didn't have a piano. They didn't have drums, a slave. All he had was his own mental beat. And syncopation was extremely important. They could keep it without any hesitation at all. And they had to improvise. In fact, they did improvise as they sung the song. They came in with lyrics along the way and made the songs popular. Fourth, they had call and response. The, the leader of the song would call out a line and the response from the listeners would be they would come back with a line but reaffirming the line. And then finally, they, they would have what's called a double meaning. Double meaning means that they would sing a song, but in singing it, they would actually be sending a different message. So when you heard them talking about wade in the water, at baptism, that wasn't just to remind us that we were baptizing somebody, but that was to tell runaway slaves, get in the water because the slave patrol is out looking for you. And if you get in the water, you will get the bloodhounds off of your trail. Have you heard steal away, steal away to Jesus? That wasn't really just to tell you to steal away and run away, but it was a code language. It was to tell you that if you are a runaway slave, the Underground Railroad is coming through and you have a vehicle to get out of slavery. See, we, we don't listen to those songs anymore because we have relegated them and pushed them to the sideline and they actually will give us tremendous meaning now if we just learn them. I don't think any black church should ever go a month without singing a spiritual, a Negro spiritual. I knew that would shock you. I figured I wouldn't get many amens. Let me tell you why. 
Why do we think it's more popular and better to sing contemporary Christian gospel when it has no longevity? Watch this. If I made a song today and it became at the top of the charts, this time next year, won't nobody be singing my song. It'll be gone just that quick. But Negro spirituals, From the mid-1800s, we're still singing them, if you are authentic, to black worship. Why? Because they come out of the soul. They're soul music. And I, I just want to encourage us this when we look at this, because we're going to look at this psalm a little more in depth in the weeks to come. Uh, we need to remember how important it is that when we talk about soul, and I can tell you today, I think, I think something tapped us in the soul. See, the choir sung that same song at 8 o'clock. You won't like that at 8 o'clock, though. Something happened at 11. I go back to the very first, very first statement I made when I started this sermon out. The spirit won't come without a song. And when that song is sung out of the soul of who you are, it's something different. It resonates in my soul. I, I, I just can't sit there. You ever been in worship and that person starts singing, that choir starts singing, and you want to sit there with your arms crossed and just listen, but then you notice that, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. The professor asked me, says, hey, listen, I want to know. I noticed when I worship, why do you cross your arms or rock side to side? I said, well, let me just give you a small snippet of why that takes place. All you got to do is sit there and when you're listening to the song, you start thinking about how good God has been and you start thinking about what could have been if it wasn't for God and you start thinking about the trouble that you came through in the previous week yet God helped you survive and you start thinking about how your world has been turned upside down but yet God keeps providing strength to keep on and you start thinking about if it had not been for God protecting you across the dangerous highways and it's just a reaction your body starts moving because you start feeling it because we got rhythm and I said if y'all would get out of that sterile cold environment that you have in worship and get you some spirit up in there and stop trying to organize God you might get a chance to rock every now and then yeah so when, listen, when we close this thing, listen to what they said. We, we hung our harps on the popular trees, but my oppressor, the one who brought me to exile, requested of me, sing one of the songs of Zion. And my tormentor said, don't just sing anything. Sing one of the songs that are full of joy. Dr. George, that's interesting to me because that says to me, God gave you a song in your heart because even your oppressor needs to find something to soothe his conscience because he knows he's wrong. 
and you can't lose your song because God has you in a context where your song is going to be the transformative tool that brings someone to a saving knowledge of who God is, but he needs you to sing your song. And it's got to be out of your soul. That's why I love Pat LaBelle. I'm done. I love Pat LaBelle. I love to see her sing. I love to see her sing because when she sings, there is something in her demonstrativeness that lets me know she ain't just singing. She's singing. And when she gets good to her, she gets to rocking, woo, and gets to going on. And I, I say, sing, Patty, and don't let her take her shoes off. That's why I love Fantasia, because even though Fantasia might be singing R&B for the moment, you can hear the church coming all through her voice and her song because it gets all in her spirit because she realizes even though she's singing R&D, her roots is in the church. That's why I used to love to hear Luther Vandross, because you could hear that when he sang in that very sweet, soldering voice, you can hear church music all in their voice. And that's what gets me about black folk who think that because you get a little rocking music on Sunday morning that you out of the will of God. How are you going to be out of the will of God when you just did the same thing on Saturday night? Rocking in the same way that we rock to on Sunday morning. I need to tell them again. Let me tell them again. How y'all going to act that way on Sunday? And you rock to the same thing on Sunday. It's the same beat. You remember back in 1968, I think it was. I may have a day wrong. Probably do. When Walter Hawkins started singing, Oh, Happy Day. Ooh, the church of God wanted to excommunicate him. Wait a minute. Y'all just got finished singing the same beat with the Dells and with the main ingredient and with the temptations. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, oh, happy... What, what, was, what was wrong with that? When you just got finished singing the previous night, talking about my girl, my girl, I got so much loving to give. Yeah, same thing. You know y'all love David. Boy, David Ruffin had a voice that was out of this world. But we, listen, the music was so music. I'm going to leave you alone. Because if you listen to the old R&B, you could hear from the soul the way they were singing. That's why it's called rhythm and blues. You know why country western music has a lot of blues? Paul McCartney and the Beatles said that before they started singing, they looked at the music of Otis Reddy, Little Richard, and B.B. King. And they looked and studied those because they recognized, first of all, B.B. King and Lucille was a band all by itself. But when B.B. King sung with Lucille, you could hear it from the soul, not just from B.B. King, but from his Gibson guitar. Little Richard, you know how crazy Little Richard was and the way he looked. But Little Richard, tutti fruity on Rudy, tutti fruity on Rudy. About that noodle, I'm the bang. But 
is soul music. And Otis read it. Sitting on the knock of the bay. How, how could you not hear and feel? You better leave that alone. Leave that alone. Leave that alone. Leave that alone. How, how could you not feel that? Because Paul McCartney said that we realize even if we're going to do rock and roll, it's got to have soul. I wish I could get my young gospel artists to recognize today. I don't want to see your breasts hanging out. I don't want to see your tight dress. I don't want to see your tight suit. I just want you to stand and sing. Sing. Show me your gift. I don't want no choreography. Don't do no choreography. Don't have people jumping all up and down and running around. I don't want that. Stand there and show me the gift that God has given you. And leave auto-tunes alone. Why? Because the old artist sung out of the soul. In fact, you had to be able to sing. To be in the band, you had to actually play the drums and could play the guitar. There was no computers to help you out. Because everything was done out of the soul. That's what they thought about in Jerusalem. What we used to do and what it meant to us. And for church, we have lost the soul of who we are. Let me close by saying this. In that 25-hour funeral of Aretha Franklin, that's <laughs> what it was, 25 hours. You could have cooked breakfast, went back and had lunch, prepared dinner, had brunch, then had dinner. I mean, but watch this. Everyone was critical of Jasper Williams because of his sermon. Listen to me. I agree that his sermon was the wrong sermon for that context. I agree with you. But his sermon was on point. See, he, he, he said some stuff that we just don't like to hear. I feel you, though. I kept, I kept saying, Jasper, bring it on back in now, bro. Come on another way. Cause, but when he went out there, I, I just said, forget it. He's out there. And he was out there. The sermon was just not for Aretha Franklin's funeral. But it was gospel. It was truth. And you know how I know it? Because I know Jasper Williams. He preaches from the soul. He just told us something that we really don't like to hear. I don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about Aretha Franklin. Because she's already preached her sermon across all those years. Now, you know me, I'm black Baptist. I know Jasper. But we need for you to talk about Aretha Franklin. That's just all to it right now. But his sermon was on point. He was questioned later and they said, listen, did you really mean what you say when you said that black women can't raise boys? Oh, no, no, wait, wait. I, I, I didn't mean that the way it sounds. See, that's the reason why when you say something, you got to be very careful about what you say because particularly in a worldwide stage to which that was on, somebody going to come back and ask you about something you said. 
Because even when you're preaching and teaching and singing out of the soul, let it be that of the soul. Sing us a song of Zion, but let it be a joyful one. We're going to talk about next Sunday. What happens when your enemy requests a song? How do you sing when your enemy tells you, I want you to sing? Lord, bless us now as we take a moment to which we come together to celebrate.